0: It's there you'll find connection, and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome to the Chaos to Connected podcast. We are currently in blizzard mode right now, and if you're in Minnesota, you are enjoying the negative 35 degree weather inside, hopefully. Um, But I am actually locked in my room because my kids think I'm wrapping Christmas presents, so I know they won't bother me and I can't get this taken care of because everyone is home. And I was going to do it during nap time, but honestly, I just laid there and I don't know if I really took a nap, but it just felt so nice because I never ever get to do that. So, anyways. Today I'm just going to run through. I asked both on Facebook and Instagram last week, like what what are people struggling with in terms of behavior, and so I wanted to address some of the things that came up because I think they're pretty common actually, and also refer you to some of the episodes that I have already put together, so you can you know I'm not going to go super deep because I don't have all the details, um, and. I do have a couple episodes that go more in depth, so when that's appropriate, I will also share that with you. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. If you have any questions, I would love for you to send them to me. I think I'm going to make this more of a regular thing on the podcast, maybe once a month, maybe every other month. I'm not sure yet, but um, I think it's just I like listening to Q and As, and I think they can be helpful. So, anyways, the first one was getting their child to bed, and. One of the reasons that this is so challenging is because if you think about yourself, when you struggle to go to sleep or you're tossing and turning, why is that usually? It's often because you have a lot on your mind. Maybe you're feeling extra stressed or overwhelmed. And this is the same thing with our kids. They might not be able to put that into words because they maybe don't necessarily know that a lot of times, especially if they're younger and they haven't fully developed their brain in different areas it can be hard to really understand what's going on, but their body can still feel and recognize that there's a need for something here. And so when they're really struggling to either fall asleep, they're waking frequently, or they need all the things before bed, you know, like you're ready to tuck them in and, oh, I need another hug. Oh, I need a drink of water. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And you're like, "Ah, we've done all this. (laughs) Um, So if that's the case for you, I would guide you to episode number five. I actually talked about when your kids need the 50 things before bed, what to actually do about them, but here's a couple of quick ideas. So I would try, if just the routine of getting into bed is difficult, so like your child is always resisting brushing teeth or putting their pajamas on, I would really encourage putting special time right before that routine because that brings... A really high level of connection. And then once we have that connection established, our kids are more likely to follow our direction because they are more connected to us, more regulated, and because they want to. You know, they feel that connection. Like when somebody asks you to do something, are you more willing to do it to somebody who you feel connected to or somebody who is annoying you? (laughs) You know? And so it's the same thing with our kids. Like I think we just really have to get the frame of mind that our kids yes, their brain isn't as developed as ours and they don't have quite the cognitive capabilities yet, but it is still formed the same way. You know, they still have a lot of the same processes. It's just, you know, further behind. And so really thinking about like they need that connection right before they're going to do something that generally feels more difficult, especially if, you know, you've had school or daycare all day and then you come home and it's more chaotic because there's homework and there's you know, making supper and eating and then the bedtime routine. And there's not a lot of that time to just be with each other, really being intentional. And if that's 10 minutes, great. It doesn't have to be a super long time, but just trying to start fitting that in. If your child is more of the, like, I need this, I need this, I need this. And they, or they are struggling to Stay asleep all night, like they're waking frequently, that is usually a sign that they have feelings that they need to offload. And so, a stay listening session would be more appropriate for that child. I mean, obviously, special time (laughs) is good for everyone, no matter what. But to really get at the root of that issue, you would want to work on some stay listening. So, that simply put means holding a boundary. So, no, we're not going to go get another drink of water. You can have one in the morning or. We're not going to read another book. I'm sorry. We can read more tomorrow. And holding whatever that boundary is and allowing them to use that as a catalyst to have the big feelings. And then with that, allowing them to have the full length of those feelings. Because so often when our kids start having the feelings, then we want to do all these other things to kind of stop it. And so many times when I've asked people before how they feel about crying. Oh, it's fine. I'm totally fine with it. I'm okay with crying. But really, when you listen to the things that they say to their kids or if you think about what you're saying in those moments, we so often are actually sending the message that we're not okay with the crying because of how our response is. And so I'm going to also link an episode in the show notes that goes through three ways that we unintentionally stop the crying because for a lot of these, we're going to talk through using stay listening as an option to help your child work through some of these. And so I think that's a really good one because once you get into the listening session, sometimes you might enter it without even thinking like, okay, I'm going to have a listening session. You know, your kid just starts crying. And then instead of doing one of these three things that you are unintentionally doing to stop the crying, you are just going to sit and listen. And I try to say 80% listening, 20% talking. So you are and maybe even more like 90% listening, 10% talking, especially if you tend to try to talk things away or help your child problem solve or something. So really just listening to the feelings. And I will also link episodes on both of these connection strategies so you can get a deeper dive if you haven't heard me talk about them before. Okay, the second thing or the second question was about how to get rid of the nook. And my specific opinion on this is I'm not a fan of, um, like, when when we were first doing it with my oldest, people would say, well, just cut it shorter, you know, every day or something. I'm just like, my child is not going to do that. Like, they're going to be like, this is broken. I need a new one. Or, you know, saying some fairy came and took it or replacing them with candy or something. And I just really feel like I don't want to be hiding or like bribing or kind of manipulating their feelings. I want to be straightforward with them and then welcome the feelings that come and just deal with it. You know, not try to like sugarcoat it or hide it or, or do something that would just almost in a sense like make it easier More so for me because I didn't have to deal with the feelings, but to really just take the issue head on and deal with it. And so, my opinion might be a little bit different from what you've heard from other people, but I really believe that one, you're going to warn your child in advance. And I do have an episode on this, episode 58. So, I'll link that too. I'm just going to briefly go through. Warn them in advance. um, Okay, you know, this weekend, you know, maybe on Monday, this weekend, we aren't going to have a nook anymore. And just every now and then reminding them of that. And then stay away from things like, well, you're a big girl now or you don't need it. Because the truth is, they think, well, yes, I do need it. And um, I think just when we talk about like, you're a big girl, you're a big boy. Like, I don't, I think that's something that we should try to refrain from as much as possible. And just simply being like, it's time. Or... Because it's starting to make your teeth curve out, or something like just very basic but like honest, and um, kind of staying away from these things that tie to identity or tie to how they're feeling when we actually don't know how they're feeling. Um, and then, just like once you are going to do it, you just take it away cold turkey. We're not going to have it anymore. I always put ours up in a high cupboard just in case. Like, I never recommend going back on what you say, but like, if some reason there would be this, I don't even know what the situation would be, but you recognize this is going terribly, you know, maybe it's too soon. I don't know. Whatever it might be, you still have them. Um, We have, it's always, I feel like it's always me. I'm always the one that's like, this is gonna be terrible. And I feel like it's because I'm a highly sensitive person. So I feel like I feel how much they are like comforted by the nook, and so then I'm feeling bad about removing it, even though I know it's appropriate. And then how they're going to feel is put on me, and so it's just like it's always I always play it up so much worse than it actually ends up being. Like Miles didn't even really care; he asked maybe two times, and that was it. And Huxton was the same way. I think he cried a couple more times than Miles did, but he barely asked. Um, so we just. Say okay, today's the day we're not going to have a nook anymore. You put it away, and then when it comes time for nap time or bedtime, when they would normally have the nook, remember we're all done with the nook now. And then when they have big feelings about it, let them. Like that is probably a big transition for most kids. And if somebody just came to you and said, "Well, you can't use this anymore," and it's something that you were tied to, we would want to have the feelings. So just allowing your child to be upset about it again. Go back and listen to that. Three ways we unintentionally stop the crying. Not implementing any of those things and just really listening and letting them have feelings about it and being okay that they feel upset about it, but recognizing that your support is really connecting and it's really going to help them through it. Okay, the next one was about potty training. And more specifically, I think that the child, um, hold on, I'm just going to pull it up. She runs and hides when she has to go, number two. And what I want to say about that is that is pretty developmentally common. Um, So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. And honestly, potty training is one of the things that kids can control. You know, like you can't make them go on the toilet. Like you could sit them on there all day, and the second you put a diaper on or you're not on the toilet, they could go. So I think. And we're also going to talk about picky eating. Those two, eating and potty training are two things that kids actually have control over that they will use to control what they can control when they have a lot of built up feelings. So to me, this sounds pretty typically developing um, and I would just really um, like take your child's I know sometimes we're like, oh, they're this age or, or we don't want to use diapers anymore. And so we really want to push it. But I think in these instances, we just need to go with what our child is telling us and just, okay, when you're ready to go on the toilet, you tell me sort of a thing. Um, and trying not to push our own agenda on it, not saying this person is, but just I, I, I know being a mom with kids who are transitioning out of diapers, it can be easy to want to just like, come on, let's just do this thing. Like we're so close. And our kids sense that and they also want to feel control and they know they can control this. And so just really trying not to force the issue. And I remember back when my oldest was like, he would say, oh, I have to go. And then we go on the toilet and he would just have this terrible time. Like he can't and he can't. And then we get off. And then two minutes later, he'd like, I have to go. And then we were just in this cycle. And I'm like, what is going on? You've already done this before. This is not hard. And this was before I knew any of this stuff and we'd sit there and we'd read books and it was just like looking back I'm just like okay that was that was too much and so eventually we were just like you know what we're not even gonna we're not gonna force it we're not gonna pressure it anymore we're just gonna wait until he says you know he wants to do it again and what I see looking back now is that that exact thing like he was struggling emotionally internally and Um, I just didn't know how to support that. I think he is a highly sensitive person as well. And so just feels things more than your average child. And so that was just something emotionally that was impacting physically. And so if that's the case for you. I would recommend the listening sessions. So doing some stay listening, and that doesn't mean around potty training. That means whether your child starts crying because of something else, sitting and listening through it, or if you know that they are really trying to control the outcome of something, holding a firm limit and then listening through the the big feelings that come because that is going to be a catalyst to start releasing them. And then if you're really like, it's time, we need to get going, do the listening sessions. And then my recommendation would be to start with one routine and then increase because um, sometimes, I mean, I think for generally speaking, like it's fine to do the, you know, where you just like, I know some people don't wear clothes for like a weekend and it works. But I think sometimes when we have kids who have, um, you know, are maybe more neurodivergent or highly sensitive or whatever, that can be intense, um, especially with feelings that come up. And I think just when your child is really resistive to it, instead of feeling like we have to do this, we have to sub time for every 30 minutes, because personally, I just like, that is not realistic for me. That does not work. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and when I have tried that before with my first, he started hating it. <laughs> and, um, we don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to make it so that our kids don't want to do it. Um, and so, starting with one routine and then increasing and what I mean by that is if you know your child always goes right away in the morning well why not as soon as they wake up have them create the new routine that they're going to sit on the toilet and then come have breakfast or something and start doing that every day and maybe for a week and then you know pick another time right before bed or right before bath time or something and start implementing that more consistently and then I think your child will just take off with it Um, while you're also doing the listening sessions as they come up. So I would start there. I do not recommend, I mean, I know also a lot of people use treats and rewards. I don't personally recommend that. I don't like to use rewards because it's behavior manipulation. And eventually you're going to have to deal with what your child feels when you stop rewarding them for going to the bathroom. And there's, you know, Opportunity for regression there. There's the, well, I'm not going to do this unless you give me this. It just starts to develop this other behavior that, in my experience, working with one, lots of families, parents hate. And it starts with things like this when we are rewarding and using that manipulation strategy to teach our kids to do something that they don't need a reward for. Um, and so that is just my, my two cents on that. Okay. The next one is picky eating. And I want to talk about this one because just like potty training, food is something that kids can also control. Yes. You can essentially put food in their mouth and like, I guess kind of force them to eat, but I think hopefully no one does that. Um, and so kids really recognize like my parents can't make me eat. I get to actually choose. Like they can try to tell me I need to eat three bites or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can choose what I put in my mouth. Or even if, even if a parent puts something in my mouth, I can choose to spit it out or, or not chew it or whatever. And so just remembering that <clears throat> when your child is trying to control the situation, if they're really struggling with eating, there is probably, and they haven't before, Um, You know, there's, there's lots of instances where maybe there's some sensory sensitivity that needs to be worked out or some oral motor developmental thing that needs to be checked on. So do your due diligence and check on those things. But if everything checks out normally, then let's look at the emotions behind it. Does your child, is is your child more sensitive? Do they have a lot of feelings? And you've kind of been blocking them or shutting them down because maybe you just didn't know that your child needed to cry or maybe crying feels uncomfortable to you and you've unintentionally been shutting down the crying. And so your child is left with all these feelings and then they're using the food to kind of control that. So that's okay. Just start now. Start doing listening sessions. The other thing that I would say, um, two other things that I want to talk about, and that is... Increase the exposure to foods, to smells, to sights of the food as much as you can. I think so many times, I mean, I I literally just had an evaluation in the home setting a few weeks ago, and to me, it appeared... That everything was kind of typically developing, just a little bit delayed. And I think when we're so focused, like my child isn't eating enough, they need to eat more because they're not going to gain weight. And and we just get in this cycle of all the bad things that are going to happen. That puts so much pressure on our child. And we think like, oh, maybe we're hiding it well. But oftentimes our behavior is indicating otherwise to our child. So like things become very rigid, like you have to eat at this time and we got to try this food. And I mean, even just like I... I was saying like, it's okay if he sits on your lap while either while you're eating or you give him a bite. And she was like, well, that's not what Solid start says. They, they have to be in the high chair, you know? And I think sometimes we get so rigid and so focused, like we have to do this right now because they're 12 months. We have to change from, um, you know, breast milk to whole milk. And just like, there's all these milestones that we feel like we have to do just then. And I would just really encourage you to think about your child and where they're at and recognize that Those are just generalizations, okay? And then think about, like, am I stressing out about this? Am I sitting at this mealtime and my child's sitting there and I am stressed because I'm constantly looking at, did they take a bite? Did they take a bite? Did they take a bite? Are they eating? And feeling that stress because our kids pick up on that. And especially if you have a highly sensitive child, I mean, man, they can sense that way sooner than even we can recognize it. And so just really thinking about your own stress level and then um, making it into play. So when you are feeling really stressed or when your child feels really stressed because you're feeling really stressed, I know um, this particular case, um, this child is in food therapy and they're doing food play and stuff. But one of the things that I really like to do is create a picture with the food. So maybe um for instance like we were we had chorizo sausages once and my child He had eaten them before, but he like was so bothered by them. I used those as eyes and then maybe like an orange as the nose. And then, I don't know, a crunchy snack or some fruit as the mouth. And then I would be like, don't eat my eye. (laughs) And then he would touch it. I'm like, no, please don't eat it. Please don't eat it. And then he'd put it in his mouth and I'd be like, no, I can't see now. I only have one eye. And he just thought it was the funniest thing. And it just broke the ice and it felt like there was less pressure. So if you feel like you're really stressed and there's a lot of pressure around mealtimes, find a way to play with it. It doesn't have to be a picture, but somehow that you can create some fun play. And I don't just mean playing with the food. While that is a good tactic, especially if your child has some sensory sensitivities, but just really playing, like making it fun. And then going back to exposure, which I kind of started and I transitioned out of it, but really increasing the amount of exposure you're giving to your child and thinking about, you know, even for us, for example like when they talk about in, you know, social selling or even advertisements, how many times we actually need to see something before we will be willing to trust it and buy it. And that used to be, I think like seven times. And I feel like I've heard it like 21 times perhaps. And just really thinking about that in terms of your child being exposed to food in order to buy and to try it. And sometimes that needs to be like a hundred times. And so oftentimes we are so focused on meal times and creating exposure there when we could be creating exposure so much more. And then when they come to the meal, they are feeling ready. They're feeling safe with the food because they've experienced it in all these different areas. So things that I'm talking about are if you're going to the grocery store, bring your child along um, and don't put them on their iPad while they're in the cart let them help you. Kids want to do these things. And we just, I feel like so many times we can just, you know, put them on iPad or on our phone because it feels easier, but get them engaged. They will love it and they'll learn so much. So like ask them, To help you find something in in an aisle, let them help you meal prep or look up recipes and show pictures of the food. Or I used to say, "Okay, we need to get um, what fruit do you want this week? What vegetable do you want this week?" And obviously, I would get other ones too. But just allowing your child to kind of help you plan in that way. And maybe if your child's younger, you give them a couple choices or you pull up some pictures on the computer and let them see. Or when you're in the store, here's some fruits we can choose from. Which one do you want to buy this week? Um, and then food prep, let them prepare meals with you. And that doesn't mean like they have to be helping you cook dinner, because I know that might be like, wow, that's too stressful. We already don't have time. I don't have time to like extend it any longer. But this could mean like, so when Miles was like, I don't know, under a year and I, my husband always, and still does, leave leaves before even we wake up. And so I'm I was with him, with both my kids, um, before we have to go. And so when he was really young, I needed to pack my lunch. I needed to keep him entertained. And sometimes I would even have him rip the lettuce, like, you know, because we'd buy the big long things of romaine and I'd need it ripped up for a salad. So I would show him how to do that and he would be ripping it up and I'd show him how to put it in the bowl and he would do it. And he was like, you know, eight or nine months old. Kids are so capable and this exposes them to the texture, the smell, the sight, all of the sensory experience around it without feeling the pressure to eat it. So they're even then more willing to put something to their mouth because they know that they're not expected to eat it. Pulling grapes off of the stem. I mean, so many simple things. Give them a sponge and let them wash the fruit off in the sink because kids love water and they love playing in soap (laughs) and let them be a part of that with you. And that is just, again, creating that food repertoire without actually feeling like, oh, I have to eat this. And so, so, so often they will try it then. Like Miles would pick up raw onions and start eating them. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, disgusting, (laughs) but okay. And so really just encouraging exposure in all sorts of different avenues, not just when you sit down for mealtimes. Okay. So I think that was the gist of that. And then two more things really quickly. So one of them was about jealousy. And when I asked more specifically, um, this parent was just talking about getting rewards in the classroom. And when the other child can pick it, this, you know, her child is having a meltdown. And I think that when it comes to jealousy, You know, there's a lot of questions I would have about how this is handled in the classroom, and I think that plays a big part of it. Um, Feelings could be easily hurt, not feeling like, I mean, I know this seems intense, but like not feeling good enough to get the reward, feeling like they didn't do something right. Like, I know that seems like a stretch, but I feel like that's something that I probably would have internalized when I was little. Um, But it could also just be, you know, because I wanted it and I didn't get it. And that's okay. You know, that's normal. I think, um, a lot of times in, in lots of conversations that I've been having lately, just talking about what we don't want our kids to grow up like, like entitled or whatever. And I think we have to remember that kids are kids, you know, like there's so many things that we do that express these same things that we don't want our kids to grow up to be. And yet we don't necessarily recognize that. And, and I just say that because I think we, like maybe other kids aren't having this same struggle in the classroom. And so it can feel like, well, what's wrong with my kid? My kid is, you know, having this issue and other kids aren't. And that's okay. You know, maybe that child is holding it it together and then at home they're falling apart because they feel the exact same way. And so I think this is pretty normal. And I think that's another reason why, I mean, I know it's hard in classrooms not to do that sort of thing, but that's another reason why I don't. Um, recommend doing rewards. It just creates lots of things that don't need to be created Um, and lots of deep feelings about it. And what I would say is that if a child can have a meltdown at school, I think that means that they generally feel safe about it. Um, I'd be interested to know what the teacher does about the meltdown. But then at home, what I would recommend is if your child wants to talk about it, maybe your child can't talk about it or doesn't want to, but then recognizing that if they start crying about another instance, it could likely be tied to this thing that happened at school. And again, just do a stay listening uh, session and let them process through those feelings because so often when our kid is crying about something, we're like, well, why are you crying about that? Like, you like that. And it's because it's not about that. It's about all the other things that they've been shoving down that need to come out and be processed. And that's a good thing. We don't have to know what that is, but just being able to let our child actually express those feelings is what's really going to help them. So I would say it's pretty normal. I think sometimes one of my biggest struggles was, um, you know, while other kids aren't having this problem or those kids are going to go home and say, you know, what my child is struggling with and the parents are probably going to be judgmental about it or whatever. And my coach always said to me, yeah, but maybe they don't parent the way you do you know, like maybe they don't have the same thoughts about letting their child have feelings like you do. And I was like, that's true. Like I do want to be the parent that allows my kid to have feelings. And sometimes that means we have to let go of the fact that our child might look different from other children right now, but recognizing long-term emotionally that stability and the ability to regulate and that sort of thing is going to be so much higher. And, And that's really what I look towards when I'm struggling with it. Um, Okay, and the last one that I wanted to touch on, because I think this is the case for a lot of people, um, and that is personal space. So when I asked about more, this parent said the child likes and seeks connection and physical touch very much in someone's personal space, hugging, playing too close, all over siblings, um, and it ends up getting irritating, laying on them, holding them, squeezing them, that sort of thing, intense play, and doesn't understand that it's too much. And so I think that we look at this as One, um, our child has been in school or daycare all day long and they've been trying to be on their best behavior and because most kids recognize like, oh, I need to listen here. And the amount of work that that takes means that when they come home and then they're in their safe and (laughs) trusted place where they know they're going to be loved no matter what, they just let it go because they can't hang on anymore. So recognizing that that is probably happening, they're overstimulated and dysregulated after trying to hold it together. If the opportunity arises, again, I would encourage a listening session because connection is first in my mind we need a layer of connection before we go into calming strategies and all that stuff we need to make sure our child is connected to us because it makes a world of difference this will mean the difference between seeing a child who is impulsive and can't actually implement a calming strategy or they refuse and getting to a place where they feel connected to you and then you can actually see that their body is naturally doing this stuff when they are more regulated Or you can see, okay, the sensory system still does really need help. And so connection first, whether that's a listening session, whether that's some play listening or special time, whatever that looks like for you, you can kind of determine that. And if you need more help, you know, you can always message me and we can set up a behavior strategy call to talk about that. Um, But then the second thing I would say is when a child is intense, when they are constantly you know, grabbing somebody or squeezing them or laying on them, that is a sign that they are in need of deep input. And so what I want you to do, if this is the case for you, is go look up on whatever search engine you use, proprioceptive input ideas, and then look at all of those things. I like to say, if your child is working harder, it is giving them more input to their muscles, which is kind of the, the purpose behind this sensory system. So this would be things like jumping and crashing, pushing and pulling things. Um weighted items. So depending on the age of your child, you could do so many different things. Um maybe you have a weighted ball for your exercising or little weights. Kids love to do that sort of thing. Um if you have like a indoor like a especially cuz it's winter, maybe not where this person is. I guess I don't know where they live, but either way, um, getting outside, trudging through the snow and all your snow gear, pulling a wagon with a sibling in it or all this stuff. You know, like if you're going to a park and you're walking there, have your child not sit in the wagon, but pull it. And then, you know, they're getting all that good deep input. Maybe you have a weighted ball, push it back and forth. Um, Like I mentioned, jumping and crashing. If you have some cushions that they can jump into or froggy jumping or wheelbarrow walking. There's so many great options. So I just want you to go and look them up because then you can say, oh, my child would love that. And oh, they wouldn't love that. And you will probably get a sense like as you're reading that, like, oh, they do that all the time. They really love that activity. Great. Be more intentional about adding that into their routine and thinking about it as um, more of a like sensory diet and trying to implement it more regularly and consistently. So for example, if your child is, um, you know, always struggling right after school, think about a deep input activity that they could do then. So whether it's getting home and doing some weights, maybe it's blowing bubbles, you know, look through that list and then implement a strategy right there when they're struggling the most after you've found time to connect. Give them something, maybe it's Play-Doh while you're unpacking from the day and starting to meal prep. Give them something to do in that time, wherever it's most difficult or wherever you're noticing um, they're really struggling to keep their own body to themselves. And if they go off and play and they're still having a hard time, give them a different task. And maybe that involves a sibling if they really want to play with that sibling. Um, Encourage something that they can do together that is involving this deep input work because that is really going to help them regulate. So I hope you found that helpful. That's longer than I generally like to go, but I think this is a really good way to just answer a bunch of questions that I get um, in a quicker way. And if you have any questions or if you're like, oh, that brought up something and I'm not quite sure how to do this or something like that, like you just want to go deeper, I do offer um, behavior strategy calls. And so basically what that is, is we will get on a Zoom call and you can tell me about what you're struggling with. And then I create a customized plan for you. Um, If it's just a simple answer, then I will answer it. And if it's something that is more lengthy, then I will um, talk you through What that might look like, and see if that feels like a good fit for you. Um, But if it's just something quick, then obviously I can answer it in that regard. But I'm happy to problem solve and talk through some of these things. Just head over to Instagram and send me a message, or if you are on Facebook, you can also find me on Facebook. I guess I could put that link in the show notes as well. I never have, I don't know why. Um, But I will put all those links, all the extra episodes that I was talking about. I don't think I mentioned it, but there is an episode number 42. If you are struggling with feeling bad that your child is crying, This would be a good episode to listen to um, because I think a lot of us, at least I did, struggled with it's my job as the mom to stop the crying and recognizing really what crying actually is. And so that would be a good episode for you to check out if that sounds like something you are having difficulty with. But I will put all the episodes I referenced in the show notes so you can go take a listen if you need some more information. And then if you listen to them and you're still like, oh, I'm still kind of stuck on what to do. Um... There will also be a link in the notes for a behavior strategy call, and I would be happy to connect with you. So, and feel free to send any other questions that you have. If you want to be added, I will put a link for specifically podcast questions, um, and then we can do another one of these. So if you're listening to this before Christmas, I hope that you are safe and um, can get to wherever you're going for Christmas and have a great Christmas. And if you're listening to it afterwards, I hope you have a good new year. Real quick before you go, if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show, I'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at Apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone and find beauty in the behaviors.